Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Ratner. Today I'm joined by Laura Haraka, a former chronic pain and symptom sufferer who mastered her symptoms using mind-body methods. We're going to hear her story and see what she thinks of the column system and how it fits with her experience. If you haven't already, click subscribe, ring the bell for notifications, hit like if you like what you're hearing, and put your comments below and we'll get back to you personally. And finally, you can reserve your place in one of my seminars, join my monthly membership group, or purchase any of my mind-body guides, also known as the PDFs, at www.crushingdoubt.org. Check out our website for the latest promotions and opportunities. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Laura. Laura, thank you so much for joining me here. Um, I'm, I'm honored to have you here for multiple reasons, but I really also love that you reached out to me. You know, a lot of times I spend time reaching out to other people to try to gather these stories because you and I share a very similar mission, which is we want to get these stories out there. We want people mm -hmm. to understand what's, what all is happening here. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. All right, let's start where I usually start. I want to hear about your story. So okay. take me all the way back. When, when did this when did this begin? When did you have your first symptom and, and that, that horrible wild ride begin? <laughs> it was a horrible wild ride, uh, you know, but it went, wound up uh, being something good in the end. So that's good. Um, my journey began May 2nd of 2015. I actually remember the date that it happened. Um, so it started basically just like any other day. I went running in the morning, took my kids to school, and all of a sudden, and it was about 10 in the morning, I actually remember the time, and I went to the bathroom, and I felt like something was wrong. I had to keep going to the bathroom. So it started feeling like I had a UTI, and I never had a UTI, so I wasn't really sure what one felt like, but I assume that's what I had. So I went to the doctor and because it, it was throughout the day and I was like, something's wrong, it must be an infection. So I went to the doctor, they did a test for a UTI and there was no infection. So I was like, oh my God, what do I do? So I drank cranberry juice, water, yogurt, just tried anything I could do on my own to maybe make this pass. A week went by and things really started to get worse. Mm -hmm. So I made an appointment with a urologist who did a cystoscopy and a urodynamic study. And he can, diagnosed. I, I, yeah. Can you explain what a cystoscopy, what that is? Because some of the yeah, people I can. Could it's, wonder. It's, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you can. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, basically, it's a very uncomfortable procedure where they put this like tube and camera up into your bladder. Mm -hmm. um, so. It's, it's very uncomfortable, but they get to see the inside of the bladder and see what's going on. And then they also did a urodynamic study, which again, they insert catheters this time and they basically check the flow of the urine and see how fast or if the, if the urine is actually even coming out. They're both very uncomfortable tests to have done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. It's funny because I'm thinking about it now, and I'm sure this is true for you too. When I think back on my past and the things that I used to do without this mind-body perspective, it almost is funny to me now. Um, I know. Because it shows, like I think about it, and I'm like, whoa, I had no idea. Just none. And that's the position you were in. It is the position I was in. And now if I had known what I knew then, what I know now, like now if I get a symptom or something, I'm like, oh. It's a mind body symptom and I'm fine. You know, right. my kids even say to me now, 
I, I know, Mom. It's TMS what I have. <laughs> I know, right? It's funny. The people who live with us, us uh, zealots, they hear that all the time. But the thing is, I'm sure you agree with this, but we're right. So it's true. We're seeing all of these things that other people aren't seeing. Right. Okay, now hold on. I don't. We're getting ahead of ourselves because we've already yes. gotten to the point where exactly. you're looking back. <laughs> I want. I want to find out more about this story. Okay. Uh, um, not to take you through the horror of it again, but I know when you're on the other side of it, it's not really a horror. It's almost a weird joy to describe what happened and and be able to have lived to tell the tale so well. Right. So what happened from there? So they diagnosed me with overactive bladder, um, because I don't think they had any other, you know, they had no idea what was wrong with me. They gave me medication. It didn't work. I went to see urologist number two who repeated the tests. So if it wasn't traumatic enough, I had to get it done again. Um, and they said, they diagnosed me with retention. They said I was retaining urine. So they put me on medication for that, which again, did not work. I went to see a third urologist. And he basically, he basically told me I was crazy and that I needed to see a psychiatrist. So at this point I went in the car and just literally sobbed. I didn't know what else to do because no one could figure out what was wrong with me, but I knew something was wrong. After the next few months went by, I basically developed just chronic pelvic pain. This was morphing and the pain was actually like excruciating. Um, I was ready to like, you know, rip my eyeballs out. I really didn't even know what to do with this. It was hard to sit. It was hard to walk. Um, I couldn't wear jeans at all. I couldn't wear any restrictive clothing. And it was scary because the doctors had no idea what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to dig deeper now. I'm going to find, I had that personality is like, I'm going to figure this out. Right. That's a great so, personality to have. I have to say, you know, it actually helped me in the long run beat this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, wanna, I just actually just want to say, Laura, one of the things that I do in my work is I help people work through doubt so that they can get to that point. Mm -hmm. You know, someone like you was able to do that. It's interesting. Someone like me, I'm li I was like that too, but I also had another part that was like the part that would wanted to just um, trust other people and say, hey, you mm -hmm. can do this, right? This is your area of expertise. Why do I have to do it? So I had that mix, but I did have enough of that, you know, go get her. Let me figure this out. But for a lot of people, and this was true for me, doubt crushed me for a long time before I could mm -hmm. even get to that point. So I think it's wonderful that you, you got straight to, let me figure it out. How far in were you at that point? Um, I did not know this was a mind body condition at all still. Right. But, but yeah. you, how long was it before, before you said, well, I'm going to figure this out. Um, it, took me, uh, well, right after that, right after I went to the third urologist, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Uh, kudos to you. That's, that's not easy to do. So yeah, well done. So I decided to take it further. I went to a gynecologist and she diagnosed me with pelvic, um, floor dysfunction. Right. It's basically a tight pelvic floor. And I was also diagnosed. And this is, this is hard for me to actually say, um, and I don't come out with it too much um, in public, but I'm gonna say it because I think if it could help other people, I wanted to. I was diagnosed with something called PGAD, and I don't even know if you're familiar with it. Uh, not not by those initials, what? what? It's, it's persistent genital arousal disorder. 
Okay. No, I didn't know about it. Yeah. A lot of people don't, but it is a pain condition. Mm -hmm. And it's when you feel aroused basically without any sexual, you know, type of interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, and it actually can become painful after time feeling that. So she diagnosed me with that. I had Botox injections to try to help it, um, different supplements, but nothing helped. So I was going to dig deeper and I went to an orthopedist. <laughs> and, okay. Before you get there though, let's note yeah. how confusing this was. I mean, oh. it was, it was baffling. It's sending it down all kinds of different directions. I also want to applaud you for speaking, for speaking out about something that, you know, you don't usually share because that is very generous of you. And it very important for this community mm-hmm. to see. And when I say this community, it's the crushing doubt community, but also the mind body right. community in general. Um, and it also just shows how they're grasping at straws to get all kinds of different diagnoses and mm-hmm. so confusing. Okay. It was so confusion. confusing. Yeah. I was, you know, I was scared. You yeah, know, no terrifying. one could figure this out. Um, I went to an orthopedist and he diagnosed me with a herniated disc and he did a nerve block and that didn't work either. Then I went to a surgeon who said I had a hernia, but he did not do surgery because he didn't think that was the reason for my pain. So thankfully I didn't have a surgery for that. Mm-hmm. I then went to another pelvic pain doctor uh, and he diagnosed me with interstitial cystitis. And he thought that that was what was causing the PGAD. Mm-hmm. So I had, he diagnosed me with basically painful bladder syndrome. And I had to, this is, this was, this was part of, this was very traumatic. Actually. Mm-hmm. I went to him once a week for bladder installations where mm-hmm. they catheterize you and they put a medication into your bladder uh, to try to take the inflammation down. So he wanted me to do these more frequently. So I learned to catheterize myself oh, at home. God. So I did that three times a week, Dan, oh. and gave myself the medication. So it wasn't easy, you know, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of trauma actually from having to do that. Can I ask you a question about, about yeah. this? Um, I found that I was very, very lonely during my period of recovery. It felt like it was all on me. Nobody understood. It didn't even feel like anyone was really all that interested, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, even people who cared about me. I just wondered if that's something you experienced. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I will tell you, I definitely retreated. Um, and I lost friendships. Uh, people had no idea what was going on. Even my children, it was really hard. I couldn't have them sit on my lap. So my, my relationship with my husband and my children deteriorated. And there was that sense of just sadness and overall sadness that I had and guilt that I had for what was going on in my own family. Mm-hmm. And how old were your kids during the, the time? Actually, let me ask you this. How long did this whole thing last? Um, this, before I found out it was a mind-body thing, uh, it was about three years. Okay. Well, that's that's a very three long three and a half time. years, yeah. and your kids were how old at the, at the start? Um, sixteen and thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, and part of the reason I ask these questions more explicitly is when people are watching this, I find that it's helpful for them to get a sense of what we're talking about, 
because mm-hmm. people have all of this doubt about, well, my, my situation is different. I've had symptoms for this amount of time, or I've had mm-hmm. symptoms that were uh, of this intensity. When we hear all these different stories, and that's why I'm so grateful to you for bringing yours here, it it usually helps a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people watching, they if, especially if they haven't gotten better yet, they can say, oh, why did that person get better and I didn't? And that's part of my system is to is to figure that out what's holding people back but you sharing this is first of all very generous but also incredibly important because it'd be one thing if you were like yeah this lasted for three weeks and it really sucked (laughs) yeah three and a half years Mm -hmm. that's a big chunk of your life you know i i I don't know if you know but i had back pain for eight years yes it was the dominant feature of my my life Mm -hmm. and and I, i I think it's so interesting when I talk to people like you how much overlap there is with the experience. The loneliness, the confusion, the frustrations, uh, the uh, the amount of time and energy we spend trying to figure this out, which of course mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, even the financial burden. Yeah. Of it all. Yes, right. And it's it's it a financial burden is bad enough, mm-hmm. but a financial burden where you feel like you might just be throwing money down a hole because you don't even have any idea if it's going to work. That's exactly. I was chasing a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because what, what, one thing that I heard is all of these different practitioners, it's like you went to them and they gave you a diagnosis that fit with them. Almost yes. like if, if you went to a, a dog breeder, they'd be like, well, I'm sorry, your problem is that you don't have a dog. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it is that they do became the the diagnosis. Yes, whatever their specialty was. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I have a few more diagnoses too. I went to a pelvic pain, another pelvic pain doctor. I live near New York City, so I went into the city a lot, and they diagnosed me with pudendal neuralgia. Mm-hmm. So I had I about a lot. Another one. I also went to an interventional radiologist, and I was diagnosed with pelvic congestion syndrome. And if you're unsure what that is, they said that. I had the largest varicose veins in my pelvis and there was this blood supply and they needed to cut off the blood supply. So I had a surgery actually where they went through my neck and embolized my ovarian veins. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I I'm saying, wow, but, but one of the reasons I'm saying that is I'm always struck by how physically grueling a lot of the treatments end up being, let alone the symptoms. Yeah. And, you know, we, we need to start uh, giving confused society disorder. <laughs> that, that, yes. That's the disorder that you, you should have been diagnosed with. But, and I don't even blame society exactly. They just, mm-hmm. they don't know. But that's they don't what's know. so striking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's Let's... why what people you do, what you do is good. It's giving, you know, the mind-body world a voice. Yeah. Now letting I letting doctors wanna... know, educating them. Exactly. And and um and it's also letting them see I, I'm I'm all about science and logic and how it applies to this because that was part of what was stro- so striking in me looking back is it all made perfect sense and I couldn't believe how ridiculous the rest of it was. Mm-hmm. And it was like no one was stopping to say, wait a minute, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. What ends up happening usually, I find, and I think you you certainly found this, is it's almost as if the patient gets blamed. They look at the patient, yes. and they're like, "Well, you're you're having a weird thing. It's this this weird. It's not it's it's you being weird, right?" But yet there are millions of 
chronic pain sufferers. There's 100 million in the U.S. alone. There's 1.5 mm-hmm. billion in the world. Right. This is not weird. <laughs> yeah. Something else yeah. is going on. Okay, so I'm sorry. I got on my soapbox there. But let, That's let's, okay. Let's, um, let's go back to the story and, and um, keep taking me through it, and then I want to get to when did you discover the mind-body stuff. Okay. Well, I went to then a pain management doctor because I just didn't even know what to do. Um, And that's when they gave me oxycodone. And I started taking oxycodone every day. So then I became addicted to that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Very important that you're sharing that part of the story, too, though, because this happens to so many people. In fact, with the opioid crisis, this is what it is. As far as I'm concerned, the solution to the opioid crisis is mind-body. Yes, it is. So now I'm addicted to oxycodone. (laughs) And so I then went on a plane because I found out about this experimental treatment for pudental neuralgia and it was in Tennessee. So I hopped on a plane and I had this experimental thing done. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm not actually even sure. They put me out, I went under anesthesia, they did another, another cystoscopy and supposedly they did some type of injection. Um, I was like, I wanted to get better and I didn't do, I jumped at things. And that's of one of the things I learned now to slow down. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell all my clients, slow down, take your time, really do the research before you jump into the next thing. It's, it's a great point and, and it speaks to how desperate people are for the relief mm-hmm. that they'll do whatever. If somebody exactly. says, I really think I can help you, then we'll say, fine, go ahead. Yeah, I jumped on a plane to Tennessee and let this man do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it didn't even work. Mm-hmm. I then had an MRI done and they found two Tarlov cysts on my spine. So that's, what did that's I do? another diagnosis I've heard about a lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. And usually now they're asymptomatic, most right. of them. Mm-hmm. Um so I hopped on a plane and I went to the top Tarlov cyst doctor in the United States in Texas. And he, he was great. Thank God for him because he told me he didn't think that this was the source of my pain. Because if he told me it did, I probably would have had surgery. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I didn't what, want to. What choice would you have even had? I know. That's the latest information you had and. and... That's kind of the mindset that we all have as a society is there's some specific problem and it can be random and weird and whatever, but just go get it taken care of. Exactly. Instead of understand the whole concept. Yeah. But so thankful, thankfully I did not have that surgery. Um, I decided to try one more doctor. <laughs> I said, yes. So I just tried another gynecologist and she diagnosed me with endometriosis. Unbelievable. It just wouldn't stop. Every doctor I went to had something different. Do you remember do you remember thinking like all of these diagnoses have to be wrong in some way or or I can't possibly have all of these or what's happening here? What what were you thinking? Well, I did think what you thought. Anytime I went to a doctor that it was their specialty, that's what they were going to diagnose me with. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I just wanted one of them to be the answer. Right. <laughs> so that right. So that I could, you know, fix myself. But most of these diagnoses, they said they're chronic. So regardless, I wasn't going to get the answer I wanted. And I didn't want to live 
in a life of you know chronic pain. So, okay, and at this time you're you're still addicted to oxycodone. Yeah. Okay. How long was that period? Had to be a year and a half. Half yes, of the time. That's, wow. That's a long and then time. it still I stayed with it until I um the therapist that I saw helped me and that's how I found the mind body world which I'll get into. Well, let's do you mind diving into that right now? I mean No, I don't. I don't. Okay, I don't, I don't want to cut off great. your story though. No, no, you we know can what? always bring you back for the No, at that point half. I just started doing anything, you know, holistic treatments and stuff like that. But then my life changed. Um I met my daughter actually found out about this therapist. She's a hypnotherapist and she saved my life. And I went to see her and I was doubtful because these doctors haven't been helping me. How is this woman going to help me? So I met her and I would sit outside her office. This is, this is how I figured it out. I sat outside her office and I was on Oxy. I was in sweatpants because I couldn't wear anything nice. I was depressed. I was anxious and I was in pain. And there was this long hallway that led down to her office. And I was always there before her because to be honest with you, that was my only social interaction that I had because I didn't really do much. I retreated and she would come in and she would peek her head down the hallway to see if I was sitting there. And then she would jump back and I would see her do this. And then she would play music and she danced down this entire hallway. <laughs> and I saw her twice a week and every single time she would dance down this hallway. So you would think, why is this important, right? Why did this help me mm -hmm. realize the mind-body world? Well, I decided because she was the, she was the thing, she was keeping me alive. She was the person, the reason I stayed alive um, because I was definitely suicidal at the time. So I decided to repay her that I would dance for her. Now, I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> I know you don't know that. <laughs> so I had my kids help me and we found the dance steps to a song. I think it was a Mandisa song. And for three months, it took me three months because that's how bad I am. It took me three months to learn all these steps. So for three months, I practiced the dance. And I realized when I was doing this that my symptoms went down. Oh my God. That was amazing. It was, it was amazing. I'm like, oh my God, my symptoms are going down while I'm learning the dance. So that's when I had an idea. I'm like, I think there's a mind-body component to this. So had you heard about kind of mind-body experience before? Or Nothing, nothing at all. And Caitlin, who I saw, um, Caitlin Peterson, she, oh God, she didn't know about TMS. But a lot of the things she did were the same philosophy mm -hmm. as someone that, you know, a therapist, a TMS therapist or coach would do. So what I did was I went online and started looking for mind body things. And I found Dr. Schubner's book on learn your pain. Okay. Now, did you, did you actually search mind body or was there, what did you search? I think I remember? searched, um, pain relief, things like that. And I think I found unlearn your pain. Yeah. The okay. book came up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I did. And I started, I got it. I started reading it 
and it was like an autobiography. I know, isn't that crazy? That was actually one of the things that jumped out the most to me because I, I I discovered Schubiner after I got better. It was it was mm-hmm. Dr. Sarno who, who mm-hmm. whose books got me better. But when I read Dr. Sarno, I was like, I have never been so well described in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I've read I've read Howard Schubiner, so I know he also describes people in that that way, that goodest sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that was the thing that was by far the most convincing to me. I mean, it needed to make sense. I loved that it came from a medical doctor because mm-hmm. uh, at the time that felt incredibly important to me. Me too. But the the fact so the fact that it was scientific, it was medical, it was from a reputable source, it made sense. But the fact that it described me just blew my mind. Me too. I couldn't believe there was this this world existed. <laughs> I know, I know. I, and that I, this I, could be possible. Well, I was like, if somebody can describe me who has never met me before, there must be others like me. There must be yes. something to this. Mm-hmm. All right, keep telling me then what happened when you read uh, Schumer's book. I decided to dig deeper. And I basically went into the back of the book and I found a woman in there who's a somatic therapist. And her name was Wendy Newman. And luckily she I lived- I know Wendy, she's great. You know Wendy, okay. Yeah. She she helped me quite a bit. She mm-hmm. she was another angel for me like Caitlin. And I went to see her once a week along with Caitlin. And she, with her somatic strategies and her TMS knowledge, I was able to start feeling other sensations in my body. And that's also when I learned to feel emotions in my body, which was pretty cool. And I learned how to have these emotions pass through me. So I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying, because I, I think I do. I should, based on what I know. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that you, you started to understand that w- you could feel emotions in bodily form? Mm-hmm. Like that was part of what happened for me is I was like, yeah. oh, I get it. So, you know, in my work, I have these three columns, which yes. organize the information. The emotions column is most similar to how most people in the mind body field think about these things in that we are having a physical symptom that is a manif- a, a direct physical manifestation of a feeling. So is that what you mm-hmm. mean when you say? Yes. Feeling yes. In your body? Yes. Yes. I would feel like if I was angry at something. I could feel the anger in my body. And right. sometimes with the somatics, there's an action in there that needs to be completed mm-hmm. to get the trauma that's basically stuck in your body that's stored there, unstuck basically. So I was able to do that um, during these sessions with her. And you, do you was, mean an action like um, saying something or thinking about something in some way? Or do you mean a, a physical action? How, how, how are you thinking about that? Well, you know, I'll give you an, a quick example. Um, I help a lady with right now with restless legs, which is actually almost gone. Uh, she has this restless leg syndrome and she has some anger in her life. So I'm very symbolic with it, which I'm sure a lot of people are. I said to her, who do you want to kick the shit out of? So <laughs> yep. we, we do these visualizations of the person that she, you know, was angry at. And, you know, a visualization, our brain thinks it's the same thing. So we're exactly. So we're able to complete this action in a visualization and her legs have been almost gone to this day. 
and and that that's a really key point that when when people visualize or imagine it they're right mm -hmm. back in it i mean and we know this if you're sitting there and let's say you're sitting there and you're totally fine but then suddenly you remember you're reminded of something that made you really angry you will get angry you, yes you'll go right back to it and your body will do it as if you're right there right so it's really interesting that we don't think of it um in the in these other terms and that that's another reason why i'm i'm curious what you think about um my my system i know you just just kind of discovered mm -hmm. it and you you watched some videos about it but i found it was very important to break it up into these these different categories um not because it, inherently you have to do that but i just was seeing it that way mm -hmm. that there are these three different elements to the experience but i think whatever your system is as long as you understand it mm -hmm. and yes. um I'm curious what you found in watching some of the videos. I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have to say no, no about it, but I mean, our work is very similar. Mm -hmm. um, the first session with a client is basically crushing their doubt. <laughs> yeah. I let them ask every question. We just get to every wow. single thing. And what I have them do is do an evidence journal with me. Why it's TMS. And we, we go through every single reason why it's TMS. And their job throughout the week is to keep adding evidence to that journal. So I, I always explain it to people like, if we look for evidence, we're gonna get it. The universe is gonna send it to us. It's like, if you wanna buy a new car, I tell them, if you wanna go buy a red Jeep Wrangler, and then all of a sudden you go out in the road and that's all you see is red Jeep Wranglers. Mm -hmm. So the universe is gonna give us more evidence to make this diagnosis true. Mm -hmm. right. So the doubt column, that's my first, you know, session with our clients. Well, that's really, it's good for me to hear because I, I don't hear enough of that, I, I find. Um, how did you come to that? How, how did that come to be a big part of how you do things? Well, I just go from my personal experience, what helped me and what I think I needed. And I had a lot of doubt. Um, even when I realized, you know, you're in such bad pain, you're like, there has to be a medical thing to help me, you know? And, but I think if I could have crushed my doubt a little sooner, I would have got better faster. So uh, well, listen, you're yeah. preaching to the choir on that one. I, mm -hmm. I completely agree with you, I, but I still do want to hear more about how did you, how'd you come to understand that? That it was just, just by virtue of what did get you better. Then you looked back and thought, oh, I thought if I could have, you know, accepted this diagnosis a little sooner, Yeah. then I could have got better faster. So I thought, what would help me, what it would help me get better faster? And I said, if I didn't have as much doubt and I had someone oh. out there that could, you know, I don't mean to keep using your word, but crush the doubt. <laughs> oh, use, use away. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. So it doesn't sound, it sounds like that's not a term. That's not the way that you think about it in terminology standpoint, but, but what you do is you say, listen, what are your questions? Yep. Let's get them answered, which is how I formed the doubt column in the first place. I don't know if exactly. you guys see that, but I went yes, to see I Eric did. Sherman, who I love. And uh, I just, I said, listen, can I ask you some questions? He was like, sure. And I just, I could not stop. It was like <laughs> a torrent of questions because like you, I had all these questions and not only were, was I not getting them answered, every time I went somewhere, I only had more questions. Right. Eric was the first time, I guess Dr. Sarno's books were the first time that I felt my questions were actually starting to be shrunk and answered. Mm -hmm. 
Right. But then I went to see Eric and, and getting those questions answered made such a big difference. And that, that's why I do the work that I do. Right. Yeah. So, so I tell my you... clients even now, send me a text message. The second that doubt comes in, I want to crush it. <laughs> that's really interesting to hear too, because so my group memberships, they're designed so that people can have more access to me on a regular basis because mm -hmm. it's moment to moment experience. And right. In the moment they're having it is when they need that help, which is interesting because you know, in my training, I, I, in many ways was a very traditional therapist that wouldn't mm -hmm. have recommended. Yeah. Text me whenever, not mm -hmm. that I wasn't friendly or willing, right? but I had an idea about it. And I, this is one of the things I'm thinking about is that my idea of therapy has shifted mm -hmm. in terms of what people actually need because they need it in the moment. It's not because they're being needy or demanding or anything right. like that. It's because that's when they need their answers. Exactly. Exactly. So I encourage it in between sessions. I said, if there's any doubt that comes up, please text me. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. So you got into somatic experiencing. This was uh, through your work with uh, Caitlin originally, or was that through Wendy? Um, I did the hypnotherapy with Caitlin. Right. And I did the somatic therapy with uh, Wendy. Right. And I decided, you know, to go get my certification. In That's the somatic cool. experiencing, yeah. One last question before we wrap up for today, and then you know maybe we'll spend some more time together down the road and and uh, compare notes about these things. But mm -hmm. um, for for my viewers, can you just talk about what somatic experiencing is? Because sometimes people hear those terms and they don't know, and they of course they could Google them, but I'd rather them hear from somebody who's educated on it like you. Absolutely, absolutely. Somatic therapy is basically an alternative form of therapy, and it's aimed at treating trauma and stress-related disorders, um, as well as chronic pain. Um, that doesn't have an underlying cause, obviously. Mm -hmm. And in somatics, it's learning to feel sensations in the body. Every emotion, every thought occurs in the body. And a lot of times what we do is we try to reduce the fear response that's in your brain to the sensations, knowing these are just sensations that are coming from your brain. They're not dangerous. They might hurt, um, but they're not going to harm you. So basically we identify these sensations and we watch them, we observe them, and we look at them through a lens of curiosity. And it helps us just feel our emotions in our body. And like when trauma happens in our body, a lot of times we go back to normal. Like if we get in a car accident, we go back to normal after, you know, a half hour, we're okay. But sometimes tra trauma gets stored in the body and gets stuck and produces symptoms. So what we do is through somatics, we can have the action that needs to be to happen, be completed and discharged. Okay. And so I, this is something I've always gathered about somatic. I call it somatic experiencing, but you're, you're talking about somatic therapy. And well, or, that's what well, I am. I'm, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just, I know the terms can get all mixed up, but yes, I always thought it was about getting to the sensations in the body, but then linking it to the psychological meaning, which it sounds like it is because it is. Yeah. Cause you're going to then take action in your mind. Yes. So we feel it in our body mm -hmm. and we describe it, what the sensations are like. And a lot of times we'll give it a voice. Yeah. We'll let it speak. See in my emotions column, one of the, one of the action steps that I recommend is to rage internally. Mm hmm which is very similar to that. And then in, in the power column, it's similar to that, but it's like, it's kind of like, um, t 
taking that all on steroids and, and um, looking at it through the lens of the fullness of your trauma, what really mm-hmm. happened to you and getting yes. really, really deep, which I think, I don't know if you've ever experienced EMDR, but that's a great. I have. Yeah. It's a great um, modality for getting to that, that depth, depth of things. But the, I'm so impressed with these fields and I'm so glad we're all working together and, and kind of comparing notes on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also just thrilled that you were able to get the help that you needed. Uh, obviously, I know you would have wanted to get it faster. Yeah. Without all the trauma. Right. Uh, but it's interesting because my, uh, my pain wrapped up around 2011. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, you feel like it's never going to end. And it's just right. so interesting to me to hear your story began after I already was fine. Right. And this tells me the mission that we have, that we share to get these messages out there is so important because exactly. there's people out there who do not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I shouldn't even just say there's people out there who don't know. The vast majority of people still don't know. So Laura, I want to thank you for coming on, spreading the word. Let's keep in touch. Mm-hmm. We're on the same mission here. Yes. And I'm glad to be on it with you. Yes, me too. That's our purpose, to get this the word out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing your part and joining me. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to sit down with someone like Laura for multiple reasons, but um, one of them is just, I have to say, it's kind of soothing to me to talk to somebody who's been through it uh, in a similar way to me, even just to compare notes on how lonely it could feel or how confusing it was or how each practitioner just gave the diagnosis they gave. It's very validating for me, and I hope that it is for the viewers out there as well. If you haven't gotten better yet, though, I did want to say something, because sometimes people get discouraged by these stories of success. You can be a success story, absolutely. It's all about having the right information, and that's one of the main things that I connected with Laura on in this interview. It was really interesting to hear how she lets people ask all these questions at the beginning. She, she wasn't calling it doubt work. But really, we were doing something very similar, and and we came to it because that's what worked for us. So don't lose hope. You just need the answers. If you haven't already, click subscribe, ring the bell for notifications, hit like if you like what you're hearing, and put your comments below, and we'll get back to you personally.